Hey everyone, I'm Ann Bogle, and this is What Should I Read Next, episode 15. Welcome to the show that's dedicated to answering the question that plagues every reader. What should I read next? We don't get bossy on this show. What we will do here is give you the information you need to choose your next read. Today, we have a special episode for you. My guests are Mary Beth Whalen and Ariel Lahan, who have been running an online book club at shereads.org for almost nine years. Mary Beth and Ariel know all about the joys and pressures of recommending books to other readers, and in today's episode, we talk it all out. We cover the joy of reading, the bad things that happen when you use the word should in conversations about books, the surprising vulnerability that goes with talking about your favorite titles, and the best books we've read lately. Now, on to the show. Ariel, Mary Beth, welcome to the show. Thanks. Glad to be here. Very glad to be here. Thank you for having us. Oh, well, I just can't wait to talk books with you. It's so fun to connect with fellow readers to get to talk about books and reading, not just specific titles, but the big picture, like how we choose the books we read. And in our cases, how we choose which books to recommend to others. But you all have a long history of doing just that, of recommending books to others. Obviously, you guys like to talk about books and reading, and I do too. But today we get to talk about what it's like to recommend books to other people, the joys and the perils. And there are so many perils in recommending books to other people. So I'm sure we'll have plenty to talk about here. But first of all, obviously, you all love books and reading. Can you tell me a little bit about your reading lives? Ariel, what kind of reader would you describe yourself as? At this point in my life, I would say I'm an impatient reader. So I've gone from voracious, which I was for most of my life, to mm-hmm. impatient. And I actually blame that on being a writer. Because you kind of, as a novelist, you learn how the sausage is made. So I get really impatient when I begin a book and it um, doesn't have a nice tone to it or it moves too slowly or is too predictable. So I have found myself at a really strange stage in life where I need every book that I read to be really, really good um, because I just don't have the attention span for the ones that aren't kind of sad to admit, I guess. It's just what I am. And so I am reading a little bit less, but enjoying it more because the books I'm choosing, most of them have been really good, but it's because I'm being very picky with what I read right now. Well, that doesn't sound like a bad result in the end. No. And this is real talk. So Thank you for being honest about that. You're welcome. Mary Beth, how would you describe yourself as a reader? I think I still tend to be more of the voracious reader. Definitely, I am picky, uh, and I have become very good at being a book quitter. I will tell you that. Mm -hmm. Um, If I get 30, 50 pages in, and and it's just not holding my attention, sometimes I'll stick the bookmark in and walk away for days or even weeks and just think maybe it wasn't a good time for that book or, you know, whatever – and I'll maybe give it another chance. Sometimes I don't put a bookmark in and it goes in the donate to the library pile. And I think that's kind of the ruthlessness that Ariel is talking about that comes with just, you know, seeing so many books come through. Um, obviously that we see, you know, when we're sent books to consider for She Reads. And yeah, I mean, it's made me picky, but but I still, I mean, I read, I read a lot and I, I'm glad to be reading a lot again. I did go through a dry spell in the fall and 
it scared me to be honest because I've been a lifelong reader and to not want to read was was very concerning <laughs> for me. Um, I didn't know who I was anymore. And so I took some time off and watched a lot of Netflix and uh, came back to it with a, a renewed passion. Uh, I was up till confession time. I was up till 1230 or one last night reading a book. And, you know, that that feels like coming home to me. Can you tell us what it was? I can tell you, but here here comes the the pitfalls of of uh, recommending a book. I love a good thriller, uh-huh. a good suspense. I was reading Pretty Girls by Karen Slaughter. Really? And, I mean, yeah. And it's, I abandoned it, that one about page fifty. Yeah, I was going to say uh-huh. it is not for the faint of heart. It is a it's a rough book, so um, I I recommend it at my own risk because it's not for everybody. But um, I, I'm a, a Law and Order junkie and uh, can do can do the tougher stuff. So. It's it's definitely a page turner. I I can't wait to see what happens. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that about the the caveats required for pretty girls. Yeah, it was just a little or a lot to – the ick factor was pretty high on that one for me. Okay. The ick factor? Yeah. 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 We'll circle back to that one. So you all have been running the online book club at shereads.org since 2009. That is a good long while now in internet years. Tell me a little about its origin story. Ariel, why was it important for you to create a book club? Like, why a reading site out of all the things you could make? You know, I don't know that we ever thought we are going to create this big book club. It actually started very organically. The story that I often tell when people ask how She Reads came to be, at least from my end, I think back to a specific afternoon when a friend came to visit me. We were living in Texas at the time, and she had a couple tiny little children and she came over to my house for a play date. I mean, you know how it is. You just you want to get out of the house and you need your children to go play with someone else's toys in someone else's house. <laughs> she'd come to visit me. And I remember her standing in front of this bookshelf that I had in my living room. And she said, you know, I love to read. I just go to the bookstore and I get really overwhelmed and I don't know what to read. What would you recommend? What on your shelf is good? And I pulled off my copy of The Help. And I gave it to her and I said, if you don't read this, we can't be friends. (laughs) So she went home and she came back two days later with my book. And she goes, here's what you need to know. She goes, I had to go to the bookstore and buy my own copy because I love to write in books and I didn't want to write in yours. And there were so many lines I wanted to underline. She goes, what can I read next? And she came back into my house and she looked at the shelf and then she took Water for Elephants. And she came back the next week and she took The Time Traveler's Wife. And she came back the next week, and she took the kite runner. And all the while that was going on, Mary Beth and I were talking on the phone quite a bit and by Gmail chat, kind of being maybe a little bit snarky and saying, you know, if people would just listen to us and do what we tell them (laughs) and read what we tell them, the world would be a happier place. And I think sort of that combination of things, Mary Beth officially came up with the idea. Uh-huh. But, um, all of that was happening at once. So it was pretty easy to connect the dots and go, you know, we could do this on a broader, more public level. Mm-hmm. Nice. So Mary Beth, does it ever feel kind of audacious to you to put yourself in the shoes of someone who tells people what to read? Like sometimes someone who talks about book really is just being pretty bossy when they tell people what they should and shouldn't read next. So what gives you the confidence to do that? Like why do your readers listen to you and why do they trust your recommendations? Well, I think it's important to add here that Ariel and I, between the two of us, have 10 children. 
So we're used to being bossy. So <laughs> <laughs> sort of a, it's sort of a byproduct of our mothering, maybe. I don't know. But we're used to just telling people what to do and where to sit and, you know, when time to get in the car. But, um, yeah, I mean, I guess there's a little bit of audacity in it. And again, for me, it, it came out of experience. It wasn't something that I assumed I had. It was just something I noticed was happening. Mm-hmm. And um, at the very same time, Ariel was having, you know, kind of her situation. Back then, she lived in Texas. I was in North Carolina. Same exact thing. Um, I would have a friend who would say, okay, I'm going to be on a plane in two days. What do I take? And, you know, the last, now I read every book by such and such author that you recommended. And that was happening in several areas of my life with several different friends. And I kind of noticed, okay, so obviously it's helping people. And that that's the biggest thing for me. I love to connect people with books and it makes me happy because books make me happy. So I feel like if I connect somebody with a great book, I've made them happy. And you know, that that's a good feeling. Yeah, definitely. So I've noticed that so many people who love to read Often a big obstacle for them in actually reading good books is ironically the fact that there are just so many books out there. Overwhelming. Yeah. So I found that people really turn to sites like mine and sites like yours because they need to weed out what's actually not just good, but what's actually right for them. And I think that can be really a daunting task without help. Do you feel like that's also a niche that you fill? Like you become the trusted friend who helps you find like not quite the needle in the haystack, but the right shelf you should be looking on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, especially the way we do She Reads right now, where we pick a handful of books per season has been really helpful as opposed to just doing one per month because mm-hmm. we pick a variety. We'll pick a historical fiction. We'll pick sort of a domestic thriller. We'll pick women's fiction or uh, something softer and sweeter, maybe like uh, the storied life of AJ Vickery. Mm-hmm. And because we have a variety, we're able to go, okay, you probably won't like all of these, but I bet you there is one here that is right up your alley. And you give people the option because they know their tastes better than we do. I mean, mm-hmm. we've never met most of these people, but giving them options, I think is incredibly helpful. And they know that, you know, the books have been vetted and Somebody loves it. We love it. So therefore, there's a good chance they will too. Mm-hmm. With so many books being published each year. Now, for the book club, you do feature new selections. Isn't that right? Yes. Okay. How do you choose which books to feature? Because you're, even if you feature a dozen in a season, that is a teeny tiny sliver of what's out there. How do you pick them? I, for me, it goes back to being that picky reader. I want to love a book. I want to be carried away by it. I want to be surprised by it. So I'm going through my reading pile. And if I love a book and it keeps my attention and it keeps me up late, then I can feel really, really good about recommending that to 10,000 women. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's did I personally love the book? Was I really engaged? Okay. So like you said, when it comes to books and reading, tastes do vary widely. So how do you talk about books on She Reads? in a way that helps people find books that they will love, even when, well, especially when their taste isn't the same as yours. How do you handle that? Because you know that going in. Well, one thing I think works for us is the fact that in the partnership, we kind of represent different sides of taste. Um, Ariel definitely reads more historical fiction, and I would say a good bit more literary fiction than I do. I love, you know, like I said earlier, suspense and thrillers. 
Um, and I, I'll do more of like the women's fiction, just straight women's fiction, maybe a little on the lighter side of things. And so just those four genres alone cover quite a bit of ground. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that does help that it's, you know, two heads are better than one kind of a thing Mm -hmm. in, in being able to kind of confidently recommend between the two of us, it's likely one of us will be able to read and, and respond to a book. Mm -hmm. Now, when you do recommend books to people, are you tempted to give them a big list of either, um, like signifiers to help them know if a book is for them, like it's a read alike or similar to, and also are you tempted sometimes to give a big list of caveats? Like if you were to describe pretty girls on she reads, what would you say to let readers know this might not be for them if, or alternatively, like you are going to love this if you think along these lines for readings, how do you address that? That was an awkward question. Um, (laughs) Like there, there have been a handful of books that I actually really loved and didn't choose for she reads because I knew there was a high likelihood that it would offend a large portion of our readers. Like what? Uh, Do you remember uh, right off? I do. (laughs) You don't have to say. Well, here's the deal. Let me back Uh up. I, we have made it a point not to post negative reviews on she reads or mm-hmm. talk about books that we absolutely hated specifically because as writers, we have a little bit too much skin in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and so both of us know really how horrible it feels when somebody trashes your book in public and just out of respect for that, we try not to do it. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking of one book right now that I genuinely loved, but offended me personally in a couple areas mm-hmm. and I didn't choose as a, we covered it on she reads and I reviewed it and said that I loved it but I didn't purposely pick it as a she reads book club selection because I guessed and I believed guessed correctly that it would offend a large portion of our readers and there's no point doing that our point we exist to help people find books they love And so, yeah, I suppose that was presumptuous, me assuming. Um, But after almost nine years of this, we've gotten to know our readership pretty well. And so we do make some decisions like that. We don't, there are some genres we just don't cover on the side at all. But for the most point, it's, or for the most part, sorry, it's, um, you just kind of have to go with your gut. You look at a book and you go, will the majority of our readers based on what we know about them enjoy this book. And if the answer is yes, you recommend it. If the answer is no, you don't. And you go with your gut and not, you don't worry about it too much. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's presumptuous because like you said, the site doesn't just exist to be Mary Beth and Ariel's reading log or blog. Like (laughs) it exists for a specific purpose. And if the books you recommend don't fulfill it, then that's not really, that's not why people are showing up. Right. Exactly. And just because we don't select a book as one of our She Read selections mm-hmm. doesn't mean we won't give it some love, you know, mm-hmm. uh, as yes, far as exactly. we feel like there's a lot of readers out there that appreciate, you know, our regular posts that aren't necessarily a book we selected, but it's still a book we feel deserves some attention. And, and then the reader can be discerning and they can decide if it's for them or not. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we our our job is just to point them towards it and, and then they can select it for their own personal TBR mm-hmm. list if they want. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now that's on the site though, as, as people who read, 
you know, word of mouth used to refer to words coming out of your mouth, not social media. So <laughs> I would assume that you're recommending books offline as well. Oh yeah, absolutely. Do and you, oh, go that's ahead. When you can look at a person in your living room and say, I love this book, but holy moly, the language might make your eyes singe or, <laughs> uh, and, and Typically, that is in the context of an established trusting relationship. Because if uh -huh. someone's standing in your living room, you have a whole lot more freedom. And in the context of a relationship, you can say, well, I think you should read it, but know these things about the book. Whereas if you say that online, that can oftentimes come across as really critical. Mm -hmm. Again, something we just try not to do. Yes, because book recommendations are very personal. Yes. So... Online, you don't have those one-on-one -on -one relationships like you do have in your living room, but how do you replicate some of the uh, familiarity and knowledge online on your reading site that it really takes to make a great book recommendation to a friend? What, what makes the site work? Because it does work. Lots of people are finding books they want to read. I, I would say what you referred to, just how long we've been doing it. You know, there, there's a trust level that's built up. People have bought the books that we've selected they've read them they've come back and bought the next round we selected and that just occurs over time and you know showing up every day for how long has this been now <laughs> years. seven years yeah and i was pregnant with a kid at the time so i have to do it based on his age but i think part of it too is in, ter in terms of how do you make it personal i know for me i try to tell our readers how a book made me feel like, I love this one because mm -hmm. it gave me this specific emotional response. And I think that's a really, really valid, helpful way to recommend the book. Yes. Yeah, we started asking authors that guest post, you know, to pick an emotion or a theme that is evocative in their book and zero in on that because we have found that if you touch on, and I mean, we are she reads, so obviously our target audience is women. If you touch on a woman's emotions, she's more likely to be intrigued about the book. And it's so funny because not all authors do it, but the ones that do, we get such a resounding response. It's, it's a vast difference mm -hmm. um, if, if they'll zero in on an emotion or a feeling that this book can create. That's so interesting. We'll link to one of those author guest posts in show notes. Like, I'm sure um, people will actually, look. the one that came to mind when Mary Beth said that, and it's still one of our most viewed posts ever, we had... Jane Green on last year talking mm -hmm. about her most recent book and she wrote a post for us on why the 40 something woman was at risk for having an affair. And she talked about her book some, but she talked about the emotional state of a woman in midlife and what that can do to her family. And to this day, it gets so much traffic because she tapped into that thing. So many women are feeling mm -hmm. and it, it worked really well. So I found over the years that I, I love to read. I love to talk books in my living room, but talking about books in a coherent way online is much more challenging than I ever dreamed it would be. Like a quick little paragraph graph synopsis is torture to write. But I have learned over the years how to talk about books in a way that makes them sound interesting. And you're right. It's all about emotions. It's all about how a book makes you feel. And very, very rarely is it about a plot synopsis. Has that also been a journey for you? Or is that my own personal learning curve? Have you, has the way you talk about books changed over the years? And do you feel like you've learned what it takes to describe a book in a way that makes people actually want to read it? 
I think this this year more than ever we've decided that that's going to be you know our main main focus is to really make this much more personal, much less about plot and much more about you know hey we all love reading let's let's create a community around it mm-hmm. instead of just this sterile kind of publicity clearinghouse we don't we don't want to be that and uh, are are definitely making efforts behind the scenes to create a site that is much more emotional and compelling and and community based so mm-hmm. the hard that's part- a work in, I mean that's a work in progress because you know on the other co- side of the coin there's there's so many great books we want to share. So we, we are constantly caught between that dichotomy. Well, there's that. And then there's the reality to be more personal means you have to be more vulnerable. And as private people, that can be daunting to really kind of open yourself up and say, I love this book because it resonated with this thing that I'm going through right now. Uh Uh-huh. And it mattered to me because it tapped in on a fear I have or something I'm experiencing. Right. And very quickly, you get into very personal territory. You do. And you have to decide how much of my personal life will I make public? And that is that is the never-ending tightrope that mankind walks in the world of social media right now. Reading seems like it could be just a cerebral hobby, but no, it's very personal the reasons why people resonate with books and or respond viscerally to them is um, not always polite dinner conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, because you can get real, real transparent, real vulnerable, real fast uh, with some of the themes that are in some of the books we choose. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I I think about, um, I wrote a post with, to explain why we selected Marisa de los Santos's book, Ariel Heltmerman. The precious one. Um, the precious one. Thank you. Um, she's the other half of my brain. Um, <laughs> and I wrote a pretty transparent post about, you know, my own relationship with my father and how it mirrored what had gone on in, in that book. Oh, and... see, I've read that book and that is telling me a lot about you right there. Yeah, yeah. there you go. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it, it really, we saw a difference, you know, in, in the way that readers responded to that post versus, you know, here's a little summary and here's why you should read it, you know, Pollyanna. Mm-hmm. Um, but how often do I want to do that? There, you know, it, it is a, it is definitely, it would be better if we did that all the time. And that is what our end game is. Um, but it's a, it's a precarious path. Let's say it that way. Well, and it's something we have to grow into because I think this is, I think I can speak for both of us when I say we are private people. You will not really ever see us speak on social media about some trial we're personally going through or a hiccup in life or even sometimes the big awesome things. We just tend to keep that close and we share it with a very small handful of people that are actually in our real lives. Yeah, those are the living room conversations. Yeah, (laughs) but the flip side is reading is personal. And so we are both this year actually trying to be more vulnerable in appropriate ways. You're never going to see us gush or mm-hmm. just completely fall apart on the internet. I hope, <laughs> I hope. If you do see that, then have somebody cancel my um, internet service. Yeah. Please send us a kind and concerned email. Or give us a quick text. With chocolate. Yes. And wine. <laughs> Had to, especially that. 
Okay. So to most passionate readers, reading is a hobby. Like it's this personal thing they can choose to do or not do as they wish on their own terms. And even though devoted readers joke about wishing they could read for a living, like you kind of do in a very real way. It's part of your job, part of your job description. It's not always an unmitigated blessing. Tell us about the downsides of reading like it's your job. Reading because it's your job. Uh, Ariel, what do you think? You know, the funny thing is, if you had told me that reading would ever feel like work, I would have laughed at you. I still remember when we first founded She Reads and we got a box of books from a publisher. There were probably 15 or 20 novels in this box, newly released titles from a publisher. I thought I'd won the lottery. It was this holy cow, you've got to be kidding me. Somebody just sent me books to read. And very quickly, I began to feel like, well, they sent me these books. I have to read these books. And the moment the words have to entered my gray matter, things began to change a little bit. Because anytime you feel like you have to do something, it goes from joy to work. And then you fast forward many years later and I couldn't count the number of books that have come in the door. The kids see the UPS man and they yell, mom, you have a book. (laughs) Every Um, day. Every day. Sometimes more than once a day. And that will take a toll on your, on you mentally. I mean, it, it begins to take up so much mental real estate that you forget what it feels like to read for the pure love of reading. And I know Mary Beth and I both got pretty burnt out last fall and we had to stop and go, okay, this is ridiculous. This is, this is supposed to be a joy. And so for me personally, these days I'm only reading a book if I want to. And that can be because I just want to enjoy it or because I want to learn something or I want to challenge myself or I want to create a new habit, but I will not read it unless I want to. And that has helped me a lot. Mary Beth, what's that? What's navigating that tension looked like for you? Well, it can very much feel like you're back in 10th grade English class and got to sign some book you have no interest in reading and it's due by Thursday, you know? <laughs> I mean, it, and, and I have that visceral, you know, feeling go through my body sometimes like, oh, I've got to read, I've got to read, this is due, we need to decide on this or whatever. And, and yes, it very quickly becomes less of a joy and more of a drudgery. And so, you know, as Ariel said, we went back to, okay, let's get back to the love. Let's get back to the joy. Let's stop feeling like, you know, time to make the donuts, shuffle off to the factory kind of a thing. And so that's, you know, for us, that's, that's where we're at right now with going back to it. One of my favorite stories is the UPS man came and brought, you know, the daily ration of books. And my, I was, my kids were in the kitchen getting their snack after school and I opened up a book and, and just had this very just heaved the sigh of disappointment when I opened it and kind of put the book to the side because it was a book I hadn't asked for. It was a book I had no interest in reading. And yet now I felt, I always feel responsible for the books that we get. I always Mm -hmm. feel like I need to do something with this. This is some author somewhere's treasured prized work. And I want to do it justice as an author. I see it that way. And so I, I, you know, kind of world weary sigh, put it to the side, like, now what am I going to do with this book? And my son, who was in high school at the time, was watching me. And he said, I've never seen somebody get so upset over getting a free book. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. And then I was like, 
okay, they're watching me here and I'm not, I'm not, you know, showing the best character, but it, it is, I feel a, a definite sense of responsibility towards these books and these authors and, you know, these publicists who are, are just trying to do a good job for these authors. And so it's a, it's a very, very tangled web. <laughs> yeah. Well, and there's the reality too, as authors, we understand that it takes, it's so hard to write a bad book. To write a good one is an act of God and Congress. And you want to acknowledge the fact that they accomplished something spectacular, even if you don't like the book. I mean, I know what it takes to sit down day after day after day, month after month, and take nothing and turn it into something. Mm -hmm. So you want to honor that, that there are only so many hours in a day and so many days in a year and what they have written might not be my particular taste, but clearly it mattered to them. And that's the thing. That's the tension we go back and forth with, knowing that we can help an author, um, but maybe not necessarily really loving the thing they created. So, Mary Beth, how do you get out from under that sense of obligation and keep your reading life fresh? Just, I mean... It is a struggle with the responsibility, and, and I don't know that I have a good answer for that yet. We're, I'm, this year, 2016, is kind of the year we resolved to sort of sort that out and mm -hmm. get back to just let's let's read because we love it, and if we don't love the book, let's kind of learn to let it go, to quote, what mm -hmm. is it, Anna or Elsa, whoever it is. Yeah. <laughs> let's not. Let's, <laughs> let's leave that alone. Let's, please don't do that. But you know what I'm saying? I, I, I cringe over those three words, let it go, but yet it is true in this situation. We do have to, um, we have to say, okay, there's only so many hours in a day. There's only so many books we can get in as, you know, two women mm -hmm. with, with very busy outside lives as well. So we're just doing the best we can like everything else in life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There is one downside that I feel acutely sometimes that we haven't brought up yet. And that is that when like, it's very cool and exciting to get to read a book before you can buy it at your local bookstore mm -hmm. or on Amazon. Like, that is fun, especially if it's one you've been waiting for, can't wait to read. Oh, yeah. um, you know, like, run out to kiss the UPS man when he brings it. Oh, I have one in mind as you're speaking that I cannot wait for. Uh-huh, <laughs> see. Coming and I know so you know, so you know what it's like. And yet, when you're the first to read it, you can't rely on other people's recommendations. Like, mm -hmm. you don't know what you're getting. You don't have any way, or at least I don't feel like I have any way to prioritize my reading list when all I'm relying on is a publicist's blurb. And they are paid to make those books sound good. So how do you, do you have any, maybe not tried and true formulas, but any um, ideas for sorting out the promising from the only good on paper books coming your way? I tend to kind of have a nose for premise and all of these years later as first a reader and then a writer I've gotten really good at identifying from a glance a book I will more than likely enjoy simply based on the premise what it's about I pay attention to premise and I also look for authors whose books I've really enjoyed in the past and hope for the best <laughs> hope for the best and know that somebody's yeah. going to feel that way about my book as well. And Oh, wow. That'll keep you honest. Yeah, it will. Mm -hmm. um, Ariel, how do you keep it fresh for you? Um, Without getting crushed by responsibility? I just, um, I remember, I try to remember being the five-year-old girl that loved books more than anything. Um, I try to remember what it felt like to read Anne of Green Gables for the first time or Narnia for the first time. 
And I remind myself that I'm a person who has first and foremost always been in love with the written word. And I try to foster that continually. Find books that I love. It's okay to quit a book. It's okay to put a book aside. Look for the one that's going to give me joy. And if it doesn't, it's okay to donate it or give it to a friend because it will probably give somebody else joy. It's just not working for me today. Mm -hmm. That's a great point. Mary Beth, what is the last great book you've read? Do you want nonfiction or fiction? I want whatever you want. Okay. Um, I loved, in nonfiction, I loved, and I listened to this, which is another whole thing to talk about, <laughs> audiobooks, which you and I have had many a mm-hmm, conversation about. Mm-hmm. Um, I listened to Boys in the Trees by Carly Simon, and it was phenomenal because she reads it, and she also has original music that she recorded that is that, interlaced That definitely with sounds story. like a good idea. Yeah. Oh, it's so awesome. <laughs> I loved it. It was a reading experience um, listening to it that way. So Boys in the Trees was great. And then The Year of Yes by Shonda Rhimes, um, who is, you know, Shonda Land creator. Mm-hmm. And as a writer, I really enjoyed that book. She talks not, it's not heavy on the writing part, but she does talk about writing and how it, you know, works in her life and how it adds to her life. And then of course, story figures prevalently because that's what she does. Mm -hmm. But then also just, it's a great lifestyle book, you know, just her thing about her proclivity to say no changed one year into a year of just learning to say yes to the things that scared her. And that was, uh, that was a great book. And then as far as fiction, um, I loved all of us and everything. And I don't know that one. It just came out. Um, Ariel, It's it's Juliana Baggett, and I'm having a hard time remembering Bridget Asher. Bridget Asher is the author. It is Juliana Baggett writing as Bridget Asher. That's just like kind of, I think, her women's fiction pen name. Uh But that was a great story. I loved that book. Because I need more for my reading list, but I'm writing it down. I really, really, it's just a, it's a neat story. She kind of takes something that you think you know the direction she's going, and then she changes it, and... Um, it reminds me a little bit of um, The Precious One, uh-huh. just very much a family story. Uh-huh. Um, so I, I, I recommend that one for sure. Okay, excellent. Ariel, what about you? What's the last great book you read? <laughs> this is You're going to laugh at me. My mind has just gone completely blank. Oh, if I, I didn't have are... a book log, I couldn't have just answered <laughs> Well, okay. <laughs> so I pulled think, it up. I'm thinking of two, but for different reasons. So... One of them is one that I actually just wrote a blurb for and spoiler will be uh, one of our, she reads picks for spring, mm-hmm. um, but it's written Which, by duet. Actually, all of us and everything is also one of our, she yes, reads picks for spring. <laughs> I'm glad you can stand also. behind your, your choices. This one is called no one knows by a very good friend of mine named JT Ellison. And it's, uh, I guess you could call it a, thriller I would maybe call it more domestic suspense it's about a woman who begins on the day that the state of Tennessee declares her husband officially dead after he's been missing for five years um so I love it because this story is a complete brain bender it's not for the faint of heart I'll be upfront about that but I also love it because I got a behind the scenes glimpse of what it took this particular author to bring this book to fruition, Mm -hmm. not just the length of time between when she wrote it and when she got it published, but the intense, desperate need to get it right 
and to make it amazing. And that was fascinating to watch another author go through. And then to see her hit it out of the park was also very mm-hmm. gratifying. So there's that one. And then you like, uh, uh, you like Kim Wiley's book. I did. I was just going to say Kim Wright has a new book coming out this summer called Last Ride to Graceland mm-hmm. about a woman who suspects that Elvis Presley might be her father. And she drives one of his old vintage cars back to Graceland to see if her suspicions are correct. And it was so witty and so charming and so funny. And she has this really strong voice and voice is something that I always appreciate because I feel like I struggle with it as a writer. So when I see somebody do it effortlessly, I'm just amazed by it. Mm -hmm. Those two, I really, really enjoyed recently. I really like that one too. All right. Mary Beth Ariel. Recommending books is not without its downside, but do the joys outweigh the pains? Absolutely. Yeah, it's really gratifying to introduce somebody to a book and they come back and they say, I loved that. Tell me what to read next. Yeah, so gratifying. Oh yeah, for sure. I'm glad you think it's worth it. Thanks for talking books with me. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you. It was fun. Hey readers, I love chatting with Mary Beth and Ariel today. You can find the full show notes, including a list of all the titles we mentioned at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash 15. Remember, you can connect more with Mary Beth and Ariel at shereads.org. When you go there, you will find the online book club, all their contact info, and links to their books. Ariel's latest novel, Flight of Dreams, about the Hindenburg, just came out not too long ago. Mary Beth has a novel coming out September 1st called The Things We Wish Were True. You can also find links to those titles in the show notes. Thanks again so much for listening. If you are on Twitter, let me know there at Ann Bogle. That is Ann with an E, B as in books, O-G-E-L. Readers, that's it for this episode. As Reiner Maria Rilke says, ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone.